physical structure, but because you are the church. Hallelujah. Living stones, every single one of us. Lively stones is what the one the translations say. And we're being built up and fashioned into a habitation that he has called and what and it that is pleasing to him. Right? Is that our endeavor? Or is it to come and have a little social grace and a little fellowship and a little food every so often and be warm and merry and go home and live our lives and forget about what happens here and our relationship with one another and how my stone fits jointly with this stone and so on and so forth. Is that right? Or come on, everybody. Is anybody following me here? Amen. We're lively stones this morning. And it's because we have a hope. And it's not the hope of this world. It's not the hope of what we can see or think or conceive in the grandest schemes of man's wisdom. It's a hope that transcends the very creation. Hallelujah. It's the hope that the Father God had in his eye when he saw you before eternity or in the context of eternity before time began. And even seeing you in a fallen state, loving you so much that he desired and had a plan crafted before there was ever a potential for the need for the plan. And that plan and that person is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's our hope. And the precious Holy Spirit has been given as a deposit. And one translation even says it's a down payment. I don't know about you all this morning, but I feel like I'm pretty rich inside because of this down payment. The Holy Spirit has been given a down payment. I'm going to set my gum right there. Don't let me forget about it. The Holy Spirit has been given a down payment. And I like what Paul said. The trials and the tribulations and the things of this world don't compare to the eternal weight of glory that that we are looking forward to, folks. And that doesn't mean that we're looking for the sweet by and by and we just moan and groan along in the the, uh, bitter here and now. Amen or oh me. Hallelujah, we have a hope. And if we have a hope, we should live like we have a hope. We should have a spring in our step. We should have some spice in our inner person that whenever we go out amongst the people that don't have hope, praise God, they smell that aroma. Hallelujah. That's what the word says. We're to be an aroma unto those that are dying. An aroma and a fragrance of life. Of hope, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I had a word for you, CJ, and the word I got was cottage cheese. You you probably don't even like cottage cheese, do you? How did I know that? Because my heart told me that. No, when we started praying, I got cottage cheese. I feel like I need to share this in front of everybody. If I was to hold up a glass of milk, what would everybody see? But you know, cheese comes from milk, doesn't it? But to get cheese, though, 
And I think this is a good testimony for the way you all have looked at ministry. You, you've seen milk. And you know, you've seen the nourishment, and the potential that's in that glass of milk for what milk is. But you were cultured by the Spirit of God and the Word. And that mixture has resulted in a curd that has ripened. And there is a separation now and a clear distinction between elements that were in something you didn't see before. And I just believe, you guys, Lisa, it's you too, Lisa, CJ, it has matured and God is cutting the curd. And when you cut the curd to make cheese, then comes the time to separate off that which is not useful. And that which, which you know, is seen from the cheesemaker's perspective. Amen? And I just believe the curd, you've been cultured by the Spirit. You've been cultured by the Word of God. There's been a time that's taken place for that curd to set. It's set and the curds are being cut. And it's about time the way is going to be poured off, brother, and the maturity is setting in quickly. Hallelujah And what God's called here in both of you all. Thank you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. I mean that. Praise God. Thank you for your heart. Praise God. We need people with a passion and some gumption inside of them to proclaim that hope. Hallelujah. That man right there, that woman right there, they'll do that. I've seen it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, how many of y'all like cottage cheese? (laughs) I love me some cottage cheese. In fact, I love all cheese. I don't care how stinky it is. I don't care if it's got mold and stuff riddled up in it because some of it is, is purposefully cultured and allowed mold to grow in and, and to be ingrained in the, in the texture of it. I've never tasted a cheese I didn't like. Can anybody say amen? Man. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. I've got today and tomorrow, or today and next week, I feel like the Holy Spirit <clears throat> the Holy Spirit has really been working in me in a message and in, in something that I've carried for quite some time. And I, uh, during, and for all those of y'all, I'm going to give a plug for Wednesday night, not just because I'm the person that you come to hear more times than not, but because it's a different service. It's a service about teaching, teaching the word. We don't do any praise and worship. We don't pray except to just kick things off, but we get right into the word of God and teaching from the word of God. And so for those of y'all that don't know that ministry, the first three weeks of every month, we have the teaching available from seven to eight, and we're very punctual. We start at seven And we try like mad to end at eight. And I've gone over about three or four minutes a couple times in a week or two. Not like three or four hours, but three or four minutes. But most of the time, it is exactly seven to eight and we're done. And so I would invite you all to come. But we spent five weeks covering a subject that really probably needed a, a year to go through. And I tell you, the Lord blew some things through me that I didn't really even have a personal 
complete revelation about. I've gone back and listened to some of those, and I just cry <clears throat> because I don't even understand some of the things that were spoken out. Now, some of you always sit there and say, now, wait a minute, you're a teacher, and you're supposed to be teaching things you know about. Well, but there's a difference because what I'm teaching about doesn't come from me. What Pastor CJ shares up here, Cornell, we're not up here to deliver the knowledge that we have and the command and mastery that we have of the things of God. We're coming like Jesus to deliver a word and message that doesn't come from us. It comes from our Father. Amen? Jesus said that. And if Jesus went about teaching and preaching, teaching and preaching and healing all manner of disease, if he did that, and he was a teacher first, because that's what it says. It says he went about teaching. Teaching is the first thing. If Jesus says that my message isn't my own, then who am I to have a message to share that's my own? Amen? <clears throat> but I would, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. We have those available. And you can go and download them as a podcast, or you can download it as, as an MP3. I have about nine pages of notes in outline format that I'm very open to share with those that would desire that if they want to go back through that study. The whole, the thesis of it, of this study was this, and we're going to talk about the last part. We talked about David's tabernacle on the last day in particular, but the thesis of it was learning what it takes to host to move, to minister, to honor, to esteem the presence of the living God in our midst. The do's and don'ts. We learned about a lot of don'ts leading up until that, until the time that David start, uh, uh, cast that tent, threw that skin up, and brought back the Ark of the Covenant and restored the presence of God among the people. And so I would invite you to go back. If you did not partake of the, of the, of that teaching, please go back. Why am I saying this? Because I know the vision of this church. I'm a part of the executive leadership team. I work with Pastor CJ and Todd and Ken and Cornell and Caleb. And then we serve underneath our elders in doing what we can to execute the plan. How many of y'all know things just don't happen here? And you know, <laughs> those that plan to fail, huh? No, for those that fail to plan, plan to fail. I was wondering why I didn't get a good echo, uh, response. Yeah, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And you know, we're doing what we can to follow the Spirit of God and to be led by our inner person. Hallelujah. In this process. And so I want to plug again the six o'clock. Is it six o'clock? Seven o'clock time for the ministry share night tonight. Please. Okay. I thought it was six o'clock, but I, I'm listening to you. I'm following you, Pastor. <laughs> so it is six o'clock. Please come out. And hear about the plan, about the vision. But the vision of the church is to know God and to make him known. I'm going to summarize it. 
But listen, to know God and to make him known is to experience God. And to experience God is to have an opportunity to be in his presence. Amen? Have an opportunity to minister in his presence, to have a personal relationship with him. And so what we talked about over those five Wednesdays, and then what I'm going to talk, put some emphasis on here over the next two Sundays, Lord willing, is to talk about what it takes to move in the presence of God and see the anointing increase in our midst. The anointing being his manifest presence of power and ability to move the burdens, to, to, to break the yokes off people's lives. Amen? Folks, I have a passion and a vision inside of me as well as CJ because we've talked about it before. I There's no reason why Solomon's temple should have a, a greater manifestation of the power of God than the New Testament church. No reason. Because those people operated with the Spirit of God without them not within them. And now we operate with the Spirit of God where? Within us. Hallelujah. So we should see as we come together in unity an even greater manifestation of God in our midst than what Solomon experienced. And folks, if you'll go back and read the Old Testament in that that chronicles Solomon's temple whenever they inaugurated that they had their inaugural service it said that the spirit of god came into that place to such a degree that the ministers couldn't even function in the physical they couldn't even move in the natural though their body and their mind would try to make them do things they could not function because the weight of the glory of god was so heavy in their presence folks i long to see that now and in fact I long to see that eclipsed because now we live in a place that God's manifest presence, his anointing, breaks the yoke and moves the burdens in people's lives and creates within them the potential to be inhabited by that spirit. Capital S. Amen? Hallelujah. To carry that fire, to carry that hope. And so I'm, I'm not going to be able to give you over these next two weeks the background story. So you're going to need to go back and listen. For those of y'all that did not on Wednesday night, go back and listen to some of the, or to listen to the teaching to provide the context and the background leading up to this because man, we covered a lot of ground. A lot of ground. But suffice it to say, what we're going to talk about is what God has called and ordained to be the steps and the process for what we need to do to host the presence of God in our midst. To minister to the presence of God. The divine order, and yes, God is an orderly person. He's not just ski-haw, people doing whatever they want to do. He's He's gifted people, he's put calls in people, every single one of you. And it's your job to find out what that call is. It's your job to find out what those gifts are. And then under the rightful order that God has ordained through authority and leadership and vision and mission that you can unite with, plug in to the right place to make that supply. Amen? 
That's what we're to do. And so we're going to talk about how that can be accomplished, what God has ordained in the way of worship. That's where we're headed, folks. We're headed for a greater and a fuller manifestation and revelation of worship. That's I know that's the pastor's heart. In fact, you know, we just got through going some, through some documents, reviewing some things that I believe are going to be handed out tonight. Is that correct, CJ? To you all, that's going to outline our vision. It's going to outline some things in definite form. And the whole of that text, as we go through it, I just saw it over and over again about the presence of God, about worship, about passionate, exuberant praise and worship. Hallelujah. And the reason, there's a reason for that, folks. It's not just a part of the service. It is what it takes to host the manifest presence of God. It is what it takes, and we're going to learn about that just a little bit. Okay, so you're going to need to go to First Chronicles chapter 16 because that's where we're talking about this morning, what we're talking about this morning. So let me get my... Uh, Bible working, First Chronicles 16. Now, let me give you just a real quick background here. The bottom line is the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of the living God among the people, had been lost. It had been lost and captured by the enemy. It had been removed from its rightful place. In the Mosaic Tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, something that had was unprecedented had never happened before. And it had, it had gone through a history of being outside its rightful context, folks. And we see in the preceding chapters, and then over in 1 Samuel, it chronicles the journey of the ark outside of the temple. And out of its rightful context, and and always think to yourself, when I see the ark or when I hear about the ark, it represents the manifest presence of God with us, with them. It was outside of its rightful context. Why? Because the priests had taken it out. My Lord, folks, how could people that are anointed and called to minister before the presence of the living God in the Holy of Holies... Do something that bad, err that bad, that they removed and extracted the very essence of the power of God among the people from its rightful context and potentially bringing judgment upon them because of that. How could that happen? Well, you need to go get the tape. We talked about that. But suffice it to say, the ark is outside its rightful context and... God had anointed a young man. He came up out of the tribe of Jesse, Jesse's household, came up out of his household. And he wasn't the first son and he wasn't the second son and he wasn't the third son that were big, strapping, tall boys. He wasn't the fourth or the fifth or the sixth son that might have had a bright eyes and a great countenance and ability to speak. He was the the final son that was the last person to be called, had to be called in from the field because he was out tending to sheep. Isn't it interesting that God, who he calls David a person after his own heart, 
was out tending sheep whenever the prophet was in the middle of his family room to anoint the next king. And whenever the prophet Samuel said, is there another? And the father says, yes, but he's out tending sheep. Bring him here because he's the one. And I've got to tell you, the folks, this morning, God is looking for people whose, whose concentration and focus and eyes are on business, on doing what they've been called to do, on being responsible and walking in the light that they know. And he's looking for people with a simple and pure heart for one thing, and that is his presence. In David's life, was all about the presence of God. From the time he was out there tending sheep to the time that he's at the pinnacle of his reign, it was always about the presence of God. No matter how much he might have stumbled or fell in the natural, it was always about the presence of God. It always came back to that. And so David here is now in verse 16. He is the king now. He's already been anointed. He's gone through a process, something that we could preach for the next couple of weeks on about how he journeyed, even though being anointed, being told he was the next king of Israel, but yet he had to fight and run for his life. Isn't that interesting? Has God put some things inside of you, called you, and yet you find yourself fighting and running for your life? But yet you maintain yourself in a place of hearing his voice and following what he tells you to do. And if you stay faithful to what he's called you to do, you'll find yourself walking the steps he's ordered. Amen. And David did. And here he is, the king. And his whole vision from the time he starts is one thing. Where is the presence of the living God among us? It is not here. And we're going to go restore it to our midst. Amen? And so David's going to do that. And in First Chronicles 16, you can see that, and actually it's in the previous chapter, in 15, he talks about uh, going and carrying the ark and bringing it back among their midst and setting up the order for what was going to take place in the new dwelling place of the ark of the covenant, the tabernacle that that God had put with inside David's heart to be the context for the pre- hosting the presence of God and, the, and the, the, the elements of activity and the things that would take place would be unprecedented. Because folks leading up into that time, the, t- the Mosaic Tabernacle, which is where the presence of God, the Ark of the, God, of, of the Living God was hosted in the Holy of Holies, it was animal sacrifice and and then only the movement of a senior temp, a senior uh, priest one time a year, the high priest, to go in and represent the people on behalf of, of, of the people in God, to offer atonement upon the mercy seat. And if they didn't get things right, folks, they were consumed in the presence of God. I mean, it's serious business. But yet God had placed within David a heart for something else, something that transcends religious ordinance and sacrifice of flesh and blood. And so David, they go down and they go get the the ark and their first attempt was a failure. 
And you can see that in the preceding chapters. Even though his heart was right, even though he desired the right thing, even though th- what he wanted to do and his focus and was, was 100% the will of God, the way he went about doing it was wrong. And it resulted in, in Uzzah being, being consumed by judgment. One of the priests, one of the people that were attending to the ark, trying to bring it back. And we talked about the fact that that ark was not coming back, being born on the shoulders of priests, which is a type and a shadow and a prophetic picture of the way we carry in the now under the New Testament the presence of the living God. It was being born on a cart being pulled by oxen or being pulled by animals. And God didn't call his presence to be pulled and to be carried by boards and big wheels. Because that's what carts are. They're a bunch of boards and big wheels. And the thing is, you know, in today's church, I love that prophetic symbolism. There's a lot of boards and big wheels running the things of God in today's church. Huh? You all know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not, I'm not discounting our board of elders. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm talking about churches whose hearts and their drive and their focus from the leadership perspective are on building an edifice of things of God, but they don't contain the power thereof. Their focus and their intent are on other kingdoms and not that of the living God. And they're about building uh, uh, images and about building renown for their name and for their ministry. Talking about the big wheels. And then we got groups of men and people that are in leadership and they want to try to manipulate and control and, and, and actually to me it's usury to be able to use the pulpit and the context of ministry for personal, uh, reasons and, and gain materially. If that's all your focus is. Now don't misunderstand me now. I believe a hundred percent in the prosperity of people's, of God's people. But you don't use the pulpit and the front of house ministry and leadership positions in the context of church as a context for you to build up your image or to build up your pocketbook. Now, God will bless you as you are faithful to do do the things he's called you to do. But if the sole purpose is building up a kingdom in this world, then you've got the wrong purpose and you're a big wheel. It's representative of that cart, boards and big wheels, carrying the presence of, and God's presence will not be ushered and carried on boards and big wheels. It will not happen. So he failed the first time. And during his failure, David comes very quickly from a position of anger at the living God. God, how could you do this? We have come down here to do one thing, and that is restore your person and your greatness among our midst. And yet you judge us this way. Yet this happens. And David quickly subsides after his the soul, you know, the surge of emotion in that moment. Because then it goes from that perspective to one, you know, where he changes the perspective and looks at it differently and realizes, oh my goodness, if we don't do this right, we're all going to be consumed. Amen? I mean, we, this is serious business here. He comes to one of a fear of God. 
He comes to a place of the fear of the living God. And I mean the healthy, reverential. Fear is just, of God is just the reverential respect for God above all things. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. And David came to that place. He feared the Lord. And it says that he very carefully allowed the presence of, the, of God in the Ark of the Covenant to go and stay with Obed-Edom while he went back to, to Jerusalem and he, he got counsel and wisdom from older and wise people, from people that knew previously how you're to host the presence of God, how you're to carry the presence of God, how you're to handle the presence of God in terms of the ark. He went back and consulted the scriptures and put his face in the stone because he didn't have carpet back then. And I'm sure he sought the living God for counsel and plans and purpose and what they're, you know, to carry it, carry out the purpose of God. And it says three months later, he comes back and this time he does it right. He comes back and he uses a mixture of young men and old men. It's not just the old, it's just not just the young strapping men that he goes down there with. He brings the wise counsel of the old, of the elders along with them so that they can be coaching and guiding and counseling the young people in their efforts. Amen. We've got to have that today, folks. Young people, you don't run off and, and even with the right vision and the right purpose and the right focus and expect to go off and just handle and participate and do the, the works of the living God outside the counsel and wisdom of elders. But yet we've lost a lot of honor and respect and esteem for the counsel of our elders in today's culture. We've worshipped youth and we put it, we've idolized youth above all, all, above everything almost. It's like youth is the, the pinnacle of your achievement. Can you maintain your look? Can you maintain the youthfulness of heart? Can you maintain the youthfulness of energy? The youthfulness of being able to, to, um, embrace the current trends and, and, and materiality and things like that. Oh my goodness, folks, what a shallow perspective. What a perspective that you will go on and try and try and try and fail and fail and fail because you are not reaping from the wisdom of your elders. Young folks, I'm talking to you. And I'm young too, so I'm talking to myself. Some of y'all look at me going, you ain't young. You got a bunch of, got more pepper than salt in your, or salt and pepper in your facial hair. So they go down and they pull, they, this time they go down and they bring back the presence of the living God and they do it correctly. And they do it in the fear of the Lord. And they bring it back. And they establish that. That ark in its rightful place. And you can read the story there. David appoints various Levites who are the rightful ministers originally under the old covenant to minister continually before the ark and some of them were musicians and it says particular uh, instruments it denotes particular instruments lyres and trumpets and instruments that make a lot of noise and have a clear and, and defining frequency and voice so i want you to see there and you can read it in your own uh, in your own time there in First Chronicles, those few chapters from 15 to 16 in particular. 
that there were, there were musicians that were appointed. There were singers that were appointed. So we don't just have, it's not just about music from a perspective of instrumentation. It's about music from the perspective of vocalization. Hallelujah. We have the context for music and the, and the, and the voice and the message of music through the human voice. And then we see that there were some that were appointed as guardians to guard. Folks, I tell you, more than anything, I believe we have missed it from a perspective of this issue. We have not properly guarded the atmosphere of the presence of God. We, we, we have had the right uh, desire within us. We've had the right focus. And we've even hit a couple notes right here and there from a musical perspective, from a vocal perspective. And every once in a while when we get it together, it just really comes comes and, and, and produces a, a greater context for the strength of the anointing and the presence of God. But then we see something happen that ends up cutting the knees out from underneath that. And it's because we don't guard that properly. Do you know there are folks that are sitting here now, you have placed within you a rooster mentality, a rooster gifting. People are like, what the heck are you talking about? I've got chickens. I've got two roosters that walk among my hens. And you know what they do? They walk with their breast out and they're looking around. They're guarding what happens. And whenever I see my dog or something go by, they'll go, They'll make this vocalization and the hens will run and they'll all run and get under the tree. Have you ever seen that, Lisa? You've never seen that. Oh, but my chickens are, are, I let my chickens out. So my chickens are free range. But they'll make vocalizations and you'll see all the chickens immediately come to attention and they're looking around. Why? Because the rooster's on guard. You know, the same holds true for people that are gifted and anointed in our midst even right now as we sit here with this mentality they're watchful these are people that have a particular watchfulness about them we need you we need you watching what's going on we need you in a position not from a a a a, we need you participating not just to spectate not just spectating but we need you being active in your gifts and your call hallelujah we need people that are going to rise to the occasion whenever something is not right and is stealing and potentially robbing from the presence of God to come and rise to that. Hallelujah. In prayer and in leadership and coming to the leadership. <clears throat> the format of this tabernacle this time was not one like it was before. It was an open format. Before, the presence of the living God was hosted in one place, and it was the Holy of Holies in the Mosaic Tabernacle. And only one person a year could go in in that presence and minister before the living God. In this case, though, David threw open the curtain to expose the presence of God to everyone that would come. Does that sound like today's church? Does that sound like something that prophetically speaks to what God might have today? Yes. I'm going to answer the question. Yes. It was a prophetic symbolism of the way things were to be in the New Testament church. The presence of God was no longer hidden behind a veil, folks. 
It was no longer hidden behind closed doors. Everyone could participate and see the presence of the living God in their midst. Folks, does anyone have a heart and a desire to experience the presence of the living God greater than they have in their life today? Hallelujah. We're talking about elements of the day of David's tabernacle that speak from a symbolic standpoint about what we are to experience today. God is telling you, it's open, folks, come. Open format. Any wood that any of that wood come. Hallelujah. The third thing about this was that worship was not and not religious practice became the focus of the people. It wasn't all the ceremonial cleansings and the washings and all the process that God had set forth in the law that allowed them to come and minister for the presence of God. It was that was done away with and what became in the entirety of action and energy was worship and praise. An exuberant sacrifice of praise, not that of animal flesh. So that's, that's a huge change from the Mosaic Tabernacle. Did you know that, that really worship in the Mosaic Tabernacle in terms of singing and ministering like that didn't take place according to the Word of God? That had never took, taken place before. Now we see the presence of God in a, in a tent, open format, and instead of the sacrifices of animals and of your ability to walk the steps out of ordinance that God had put forth for you to minister in the context of his anointing, now it's nothing but worship that envelops and, 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 and within which the presence of God inhabited. Amen? There's a scripture that talks about he inhabits the praises of his people. People ministered before the presence of the Lord continually, folks. It never stopped. It was a, it was a context and it was a continual effort on behalf of grateful hearts, on behalf of people who would allow themselves to move through a new vision and perspective that God had brought through his servant David to minister in the sacrifice of praise, in the sacrifice and offering of worship. Free worship in approaching and providing that context for the presence of God among the people. They sang as they approached the presence of the Lord. And the anointing would come upon them because the the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord, God, would seat himself, literally his presence, in between those cherubim's wings. And it was on this place in that middle of that context that was called the mercy seat. That God would literally physically manifest before the people his presence, his glory, his weight. And can you picture this, folks? His people would come before him. And as they would step up into the ark and the mercy seat with a heart that was surrendered, with a heart that feared, in other words, respected, revered, and honored above all things, the presence of the living God that was right there on that seat. They would walk up and step up into that presence with that kind of a heart and perspective to do one thing, and that was to offer a sacrifice of their heartfelt 
praise and worship to their king. Hallelujah. That's exactly what they did. And as they did, the spirit of the Lord would come upon them and they would begin to utter and sing inspired songs. And then the instruments in proper order, the spirit of God would come upon the the instrumentalist, and at times they would pro- play anointed music to provide a context for this singing and to provide uh, moments to just stop and ponder what the living God had brought through someone in that inspired moment. And what this resulted in, folks, is a, something that the collection of which we refer to as the Psalms. The majority of the Psalms, if you did not know this, came from David's tabernacle experiences. Because if you'll look right there in 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, whenever the order of who does what, who's on first, who's on second, in terms of the service before the presence of God, in terms of worship, in terms of singing, in terms of playing the music, there was also, in terms of guarding it, there was also someone that was asked to record what was being uh, spoken. And it says to record, to take the note thereof, of that inspired utterance. And we, the, the, a great many of the Psalms came from this. And so what it resulted in was a songbook of the people, a hymnal, if you will, of inspired songs, folks. And these Psalms, for all the benefit and the things that we reap from a perspective of reading them, And even reciting them, folks, don't hold a candle to the original context within which they were brought forth. And that was a singing context. So what I would invite folks to do is to take the Psalms, open them up, be led by the Spirit of God, and sing out the Psalms in your your home, folks. Because I've got to tell you that The anointing and the glory of God that manifested and was brought forth through this inspiration, the potency of that has not waned, folks. Amen? It was an inspired utterance. It was brought forth by the Holy Ghost moving upon those people. And that same, I don't know about you, but my Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if He is, then could could we possibly... Maybe think that if we were to, under the unction of the Spirit of God, sing out these psalms as we are inspired to do so, perhaps manifest that presence and power in our midst today? Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And we see that many praise and worship songs that we sing, some here, some that many great hymns have been written after, where do they come from? The psalms. The psalms. Hallelujah. And I invite folks, sing the songs. I don't care whether you can carry a tune in a bucket or not. You know, I've often said it's not the frequency or tone of your voice. It's the frequency of the heart that desires to deliver that sacrifice that the Lord is pleased with. Do you think God's sitting up there going, well, Tony can't carry a tune for nothing. I'm not going to receive that. Sounds terrible. Sorry, Tom. You're cool with that, aren't you? 
You know, what about you, Charlie? I mean, can you carry a tune somewhat? I mean, is God going to sit up there and judge your sacrifice by how you sound physically? Do you think that takes God by surprise? You think God's going, wait a minute, I thought that guy could sing. (laughs) That's right, brother. That's right. Did you hear what he said? He made me. He knows me. Do you think that it's taking God by surprise that you can't carry a beautiful aria of praise unto him that some people in the context of operas can produce that'll just put you to the floor because of the beauty of their voice? I tell you, there's nothing like a voice that just sends me down in awe from a natural perspective when someone's got that just insane potential, man, through their voice to just so purely bring those tones and frequencies so accurately. But yet God's not sitting up there going, wait a minute, man, that is dist- distal to distance, dissonance to my ears. You know what he's listening to? The frequency of the heart. Did you know that each and every one of you that have received the Spirit of God, that God, that Spirit that's in you is likened unto wind. And it's called pneuma in the Greek. And it's a forceful blast. And do you know what it takes to produce a note uh, on the trumpet? Do you know what it takes to bring forth a strength of voice in the saxophone? Do you know what it takes to bring forth an, an utterance through the trombone or through any instrument like that. It takes wind that is brought with a forceful blast. And I got to tell you that God so desires for you to hook up with that pneuma and allow that forceful blast to come through and bring the frequency he's dialed into every single one of you sitting here that brings pleasure to him. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Father, we are looking to you right now. We look to no other. We thank you, Father, that you're above all things. We thank you, Father God, that we're learning. Our desire is to learn of you. Our desire is to walk in the light. Our desire, Father God, is to go on, Father, from where we're at now. Our desire, Father God, is to be the habitation to host your presence in its full potency, O God. Its full burden-moving, yoke-destroying ability, O God. In its full grandeur, Father God, to which that we can endure, Father, in these earthen vessels. Oh, Father, you're not a respecter of person that, Father, in the olden days you would manifest yourself To those people, Father, but even more so those that are under the new covenant, Father, how much greater, how much greater, oh God, can we and should we experience you? And that's what we're learning about, oh God, is what it takes, what you've called, oh Father God. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. I ask that you would just inspire, that you would deliver this message unto people, Father God. That you would bring, Holy Ghost, that understanding, revelation unto those whose hearts are open to receive it, oh God. In the name of Jesus, Father, we glorify you above all things. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for creating the way to the Father. Thank you for being the curtain in which we are born by the Spirit into your body. 
that we can be in your presence all the time. Hallelujah. And we just thank you, Father, for your blessing and your, and your uh, covenant with us that no evil can befall us or disaster come near our dwelling, Father. We say that even now, Father, and stir up our hope and our faith in that knowledge, Lord, today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.